Awesome. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, my list of accomplishments are not actually that great, um, but thanks for making me sound really great, Shelly. I appreciate that. Um, and thank you guys so much for letting me be here. One of my favorite things about being in Newcastle, um, and actually I got a couple job offers this year, and I, uh, one was to move to LA, one was to move to Iowa to work for Foursquare as a denomination, and I said, I'll do them, but you gotta let me stay where I am um, because I love this community. I love this county, and one of my favorite things is that we all work together, that really we come in here and I feel like family. I don't, so I hope you all know you're like my BFFs. If you didn't know that, we're best friends. So um, I'm actually from here. I grew up in Newcastle. My husband and I moved away for several years and worked um, at a large denominational church, which kind of set me on this path towards ministry that I sort of accidentally fell into. Um, and so we landed back here in Newcastle after we thought we were peace and out, God said, you know what, I think it's time for you to go back. And we questioned that and wrestled with that, and here we are. And now convincing people all around the country that we don't need to leave for a little while. So um, felt like the Lord said stay for a little while. So here we are. Um, I've been doing next-gen ministry, so that's kids or youth. I actually started out in youth ministry and then, then started doing kids ministry. But I've been doing this for 12 years now. So today I'm talking about Generation Z, and some of it comes from just experience, um, but I'm also, I'm a nurse by trade. Uh, Woohoo, all our nurses, nursing friends around. Um, I have a research mind, and had I stayed in nursing, I probably would have gone uh, towards research. And so I've just researched this generation and studied the word and what it has to say and what secular sociologists are saying and all of this, but I've also lived it. Um, we're foster parents. Any foster parents here? We're foster parents. And so when I started studying Generation Z, uh, probably 2016, we had a three-year-old of our own. Our biological daughter was three. We had a seven-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an 18-year-old. So I was reading all this, studying and learning. Um, the Lord was revealing things to me, but I was living it, right? I had, like all of Generation Z, right in my home. So Generation Z is the generation that's under 20, and we get to share with you a little bit today. So I want to start with scripture, because I believe that's the best place to start, amen? Um, and so today is not so much me sharing what I know, but more asking the Lord, what would you have us to do? So opening our hearts, saying, what would you have me to do personally? What would you have us to do as a church, in this church, but also the big C church, the church around the world? What would you have us to do, Lord? So we're going to start in John 21. Um, in John 21, oh, Never mind. We'll get there. I may not have the slides in order. We'll, we'll do our best. If you, have your, if you have your Bibles with you, open to John uh, 21. The, the backstory of this is where Jesus is reinstating Peter. So we all know, or maybe you maybe don't know, Peter uh, had denied Christ, right? How many times? Three. So he said, I don't know him. I'm not with him. No, I don't know who you're talking about. And he's denied Christ. And so John 21 is after Jesus has been has been killed, resurrected, and has actually appeared to his disciples. So he's already talked to his disciples about, come on, guys, here's your mission. I'm leaving you this task. And that he's shown up to his disciples. So John 21 is where he reinstates Peter. So we're going uh, to start in verse 15. We'll come back to read uh, the breakfast by the sea section. But I want to start in verse 15. It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs, right? 
lands. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, if I had asked you in the beginning what Jesus was going to say to Peter, feed my sheep, we think sheep. If you were here with us a couple weeks ago on a Sunday night, I shared that actually the first thing he said was to feed my lambs. Now, we believe that every word of God is true and is right. Right? Do you think Jesus misspoke? He, like, meant to say sheep, but he accidentally said lambs. See, these are different words. In Scripture, in the original text, the word lambs is our neon. It means a lambkin. It means a lamb that's a baby, a lamb that's a kid, a lamb that's under the age of 18. Isn't this beautiful? <laughs> a lamb. It means a lamb in lamb years. And then he says, then he says, feed my lambs, or feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and then feed my sheep. Now tell me this, is Peter the youth pastor of the group? No, if you don't know much about Peter, he's not the person that we would recruit for Next Gen Ministry, right? He <laughs> tends to be hot-headed. Um, he doesn't always nail it when it comes to his relationship with Jesus. He's a little flaky, um, a little arrogant sometimes. Uh, he even, at one time, this is the guy Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> when he spurts out, no, that's not going to happen, right? He's not the youth pastor. Is Peter feeling led to children's ministry? No. In fact, I would say, yeah, here's the background check, and we're going to weed you out of kids' <laughs> ministry, right? It's so interesting to me because sometimes we go, you know, the, the feed my sheep and feed my lambs are the same. It means everyone, but it doesn't. It says lambs. And we think that lambs, taking care of lambs, is relegated or delegated to those who are called. I'm called to next-gen ministry. Or the Holy Spirit is leading me to minister to children. No, <laughs> Jesus doesn't give Peter the out, does he? He says, if you love me, show it. And the way that you show it is taking care, feeding my lambs. He didn't misspeak. He actually meant lambs. And so I want us to set up today that this isn't a message for those of us who are passionate about next gen, right? And have a calling on our lives and we serve with youth and children. They actually already know this. But maybe, in fact, feeding the lambs is actually all of our jobs. That there's a place for each of us in that. And that this generation, Generation Z, is part of those lambs that we all get to help feed. So if you're here today and you're not sure about Generation Z, I'm going to show you a video that is a biblic uh, the way Gen Z translates the Bible. So check out this video. It'll open your eyes a little bit to the differences. Well, there you go. So the Lord yeeteth and the Lord yoketh away, right? A new translation of the Bible. Obviously, this is all just some fun. It's not going to be published anywhere. Um, so just so we all understand the language of generations, I just have this slide so you can understand kind of the breakdown of generations and what people are called. Um, I get into this stuff. Maybe I'm a little nerdy. Um, but I really love the kind of differences in generations and why we tick like we do. 
And let me just give a disclaimer that as we talk today about generations, that doesn't mean everyone in that generation resembles that person. Okay, so please don't take offense to anything I may say. You know, you, some of you are baby boomers. You probably have friends who don't work hard and don't save money, right? You have friends that blow money, right? Just like some of us in our generation, we may have differences of, of the way we live. But this is in general, okay? So what, what most people are like. Um, you can see baby boomers, 23.6, that's ages 50 and up. And this is like a range. It could be 55 and up, you know, a range of where you fit best. Gen Xers, the busters, that's 35 to 50. Um, you know, we talk about millennials, millennials, millennials. But can I just tell you, millennials in their 30s now, and they're sick of us talking about them. <laughs> this is the most researched, least understood generation, okay? So I could swing either way between a millennial or a, a Gen X, but mostly a Gen Xer. But um, we have studied and studied and studied millennials, and we're like, the church is still figuring out how to try to reach them, reach these kids. Like, they're adults now, okay? So we can, like, move on from researching millennials. <laughs> they're here. Uh, we, now we have to treat them as adults, but they are. I had a millennial once say, would you please stop researching us? Just stop it. We're right here in front of your face. So Gen Z, however, um, is between the ages of 2 and 20 or 2 and 18 probably in this area. Um, the largest generation in history, let me just say that again, the largest percentage of our population is under 20. So these are not kids who someday are going to set our culture. These are the kids that are setting our culture. This is who the majority of our culture is. Pretty soon they're going to have the purchasing power um, in our country as well. So here's just some traits about who they are. The roughly 25% of our population. There's some generational markers that's really fascinating about them. So Gen Z are tech innate. So we would say millennials were tech adept. They're pretty savvy. They grew up. So I'm tech savvy, a Gen Xer. Millennials are tech adept. They get it, technology. Um, Gen Z are tech innate. And any of you who have young children, you probably already know this. On average, they can manage five screens at one time. I'm sitting there going, what are those screens? So it's like a laptop, a phone, a gaming computer, uh, a probably a smart watch or some, some sort. That five screens at a time. And I'm like, could you just turn down the music so I can find the address? Right? <laughs> Anybody else? Like you have to turn down the radio <laughs> to find the address to in the house? Okay, that's me too. Uh, spend a, a, about an eight hours a day on screens of some sort. Um, YouTube has become the educator. Okay, so my kid never has to ask me why the sky is blue. She'll ask Alexa, right? This morning she wanted to listen to music. My husband and I were upstairs and downstairs in the shower and all this. And I hear her say, Alexa, play Belle's playlist from Spotify. And sure enough, luckily it's loaded with Christian songs. She starts playing her little playlist of all these songs from Holland and, uh, I don't know, Group One and all these great uh, songs. Now listen, before we start pointing fingers going, you guys are always on your devices. Uh, this is the first generation that has grandparents on their devices. Imagine that. When I went to my grandma's house when I was a kid, we like scoured recipe books, found a recipe, and made it. Now when my kids go to my grandma's house, their grandma's house, grandma's checking Facebook. You know what I mean? And they're taking pictures of kids and posting them on Facebook. My, my kid's great-grandma, okay, my grandma has an iPhone. She's 80, 84, has an iPhone, manages her, her Facebook account. You know what I mean? This is changing generations, um, not just because they're on their devices, but because so are we. Um, their average attention span is eight and a half seconds. Just to put that into perspective, a goldfish's attention span is nine seconds, okay? 
So when we speak, when we talk, when we preach, we have to keep in mind that we're preaching to goldfish, okay, <laughs> right? So every eight and a half seconds, something's got to change. Whether we like it or not, this is just who they are. Some of the cooler things about Generation Z is it's the most diverse generation in history. Two out of five are non-white. And sometimes I share this with people in the Midwest, and they say, not here. And I say, well, let me just tell you, my kid goes to Agape, and in her two-year-old class, there were eight children, five English speakers, one Spanish only, one Portuguese only, and one French only. Two-year-old. So imagine the two-year-old gibberish trying to help kids communicate. It was chaos. But even little old Newcastle, three out of eight non-English speakers. So we can't just sit here and go, no, look around. Everyone here looks the same. No, even our little town is beginning to change. This is also the age of women. We're seeing this rise in women, actually more women than ever going to college, 2.2 million more women than men went to college last time. This has not been uh, our history. Think about the, the movies and the media with Moana, hidden figures. Um, what's her name? Captain Marvel? <laughs> so I should know this. My husband's going to, I'll get a lecture on that later. Captain Marvel. It's the age of women. We're seeing this increase in women. And can I just tell you that church, kids are going to look, and if they don't see women on this stage, they're checking out. So that's an easy way. How do I reach Gen Z, church is asking. Say, put a, put a woman on your stage. Just allow. Because I don't know if you all know this, if you're in your own little world, like this doesn't happen everywhere. Right? Or I have to have this list of qualifications and be introduced by a senior leader as to why in the world we would ever give you a microphone. So this is encouraging. Um, another thing, my favorite thing about this is that Generation Z are active volunteers. They want a purpose. Our friends, the millennials, also had a, a worldview and wanted to make a difference, um, but they're called, don't be offended, slacktivists, right? <laughs> we want to do something, but we don't really want to do something, right? We want to see change in the world, but we also don't actually want to get involved in it, right? We want to talk about it because because of social media and all of these things that came ar around when they were children. So listen, some of my favorite people in the world are millennials, so don't, don't take offense to that. Um, also, one of the bigger things is that the Great Recession has really marked this generation and uh, has given them this kind of sense of self and a need to work hard for success. Consider this, they've never lived in a country at peace. That changes you. Right? They're all post 9-11. We remember life before 9-11, right? Anybody in here born after 2001? Anybody? A couple. Okay, so we remember what life was like before 9-11 when terrorism wasn't really a real thing, right? We all lived. Now terrorism is like a real thing. Um, also, think about the, once again, the influence of media. <laughs> Movies like The Hunger Games and Divergent series. You have to work hard to save yourself. It does something. That's because that's what the culture is. We have to work hard in order to save ourselves so they become very resourceful. Interestingly, this is from Barna. I think it came out last year. Um, my blank is very important to my sense of self. Now, if you don't like research, just I'll give you the breakdown. Every other generation before this, the last three anyways, have either said my family background and upbringing or my religious beliefs is very important to my sense of self. Zenzi has turned this sideways and said, no, my professional educational achievement is very important to my sense of self. How many, if there are any Gen Zers in here, if you're under 20, any high schoolers, are taking college classes in high school? Right, right. So we have, I have friends 
who are graduating high school with college credits. You can graduate at Newcastle with an associate's degree. I mean, this is never, like we think, oh, that's cool, but we don't understand. It's because of this, this generation. The last generation, we provided opportunities for gap years. Do you remember this, the gap year? So after your senior year, not really sure what I wanna do. I need to figure it out. So we had all these other internship opportunities and these kind of soft skill kind of colleges. No, no, <laughs> this generation doesn't need a gap year. In fact, they're starting in high school on their college education because professional and educational achievement is the number one way I define myself. Now you'll see what's next, hobbies and pastime very close, and then third is gender and sexuality. That's a big marker um, for this generation. I'll get there in just a second. This generation is also do-it-yourself, which relates to this, that they do it, they, they're harder working, so it's not impossible for them to get college credits in high school. Think about my little daughter. She would rather watch The Great British Baking Show than Dora the Explorer. Anybody else have kids like this? Right, like we wanna watch the DIY, do it yourself, and then she wants to try it. Um, that's not just something that's like happening, okay? That's like a generational thing. I thought it was weird that our kid did that until I started reading things going, oh, this is totally normal. Life looks different. This is hilarious, I read this study, maybe some of you saw it, that cereal consumption is down. Have you heard this? Cereal companies, uh, cereal is down 17%. Do you know why? They want to make their own breakfast. They want to invent something. I want to cook something, right? DIY, and also it takes too much time. Cereal <laughs> takes too much time. Like if you didn't know where our world was going, like cereal takes too much time. Cereal companies are now trying to reinvent themselves because their sales are down almost 20% from last year. Like that's crazy. Okay, so this, this uh, uh, um, the morality of this generation has really, really changed, and you probably know this. So you can see the blue line is where Gen Zers responded. You'll see that only 34% thought lying is morally wrong. I mean, 60% say, you know what, it's, you don't always have to tell the truth. Um, you'll see some of them are very similar with m millennials. The lying one is probably the, um, the biggest one, and al also the homosexual behavior, which has also changed. Um, I don't think it's on this slide, it's not on this slide, but they asked Gen Zers to rank uh, morality issues. So not recycling ranked worse than viewing pornography on a regular basis. Not recycling is worse morally. So I say to churches all the time, you wanna reach Gen Z, just put in a recycling bin. It's easy, right? I had a pastor say, small Iowa town, say, but I don't know what you would do with recycling. And I said, just throw it in your regular trash because lying's okay. It doesn't actually matter. <laughs> right? <laughs> doesn't even matter. As long as I see that recycling bin. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I can help you with where. Yeah. Um, so this generation uh, is not considered to be sexually stable. If you were to start a Facebook, take a guess at how many gender options that you would have. If you started a new one tomorrow. Most of us have had Facebook for years. So wasn't like this. So just take a guess. 31, higher. 58, 58 gender options. So listen, if you wanna educate yourself, Google Facebook's gender options and then look up all those words and find out. Um, Cyrus came out as pangender. So look up what pangender is. It basically means that it's uh, labels are too repressive and I'm nothing, okay? Generation Z, 
um, one third of them say gender is how you feel today. Now let me just tell you, there are some days when I wake up and I feel like a messy bun and a t-shirt is like the best I can do. I'm not really feeling super female, right? <laughs> not that I'm feeling male, but we can't. So a third of them would say gender is how I feel today, which means tomorrow I could change and Thursday I could change and Saturday I could change. Now, uh, a couple years ago I was in Disneyland in California and I walked in and saw this picture and I was with two pastor friends and we stopped dead in their tracks and the guy on my right goes, is that? And the other one goes, a guy? And then I said, in the pink? And you'll notice the, the little boy in the pink is a boy with the big sign from Disney saying, dream big, princess, dream big. And this is the message that our kids get. Let me just tell you a little story um, about a woman named Ellen DeGeneres. When she came out in 1997, do you guys remember what happened to her? She was blacklisted. She was done. We didn't see her surface again for six years because of her decision to come out. And even when we did, it was in Finding Nemo. It was voice acting. And then it was another year before we saw her face on TV. Now, two years ago, Caitlin Bruce Jenner um, undergoes, you know, transgender surgery and now is on the cover of Vanity Fair. So when you think like, oh, it's not that different. No, no, this is a very different world. Secular researchers are now calling sexting a form of courtship, saying this is like the way kids are courting one another now. 75% of teenagers ages 15 to 18 have participated in sexting. So listen, parents, listen, <laughs> if you need help, please talk with me. My husband is a technology genius. I promise you he will find you a way to track every single moment and every <laughs> single text message. Our foster kids don't stand a chance. They hate our home. <laughs> They're so locked down. Oh, it's bad. That's bad. Um, I'm going to share a story about um, one of the students that, um, that you guys have discipled from Dive at School, so our Student Leadership Academy at Eastwood. I got a call. I was in California, probably on this trip, and I got a call from a leader and said, hey, one of the Dive student leaders uh, introduced me to his boyfriend tonight. And I was like, oh, oh dear. Said, did you know that he was gay? And I said, no, didn't know this. So I get back to my office the next day. A leader comes right in my office. Did you know, I'm changing his name. Did you know Chase is gay? And I was like, okay, so we're really dealing with something here. This is not just a kid goofing around. So the next Thursday uh, at leadership, I pull him aside. I said, hey, Bud, I've been gone, and I'm hearing these things, and, you know, you introduced this guy, and I said, do you know what the Bible has to say about homosexuality? And he said, no. You see, I went into this conversation with my little script <laughs> and praying in the way that I've always talked to millennials, honestly, about homosexuality. I've walked with girls who are struggling with these feelings, walked them through that to a place of wholeness and restoration. So I went in with those talking points thinking, okay, I got, I got everything here. Lord, we got this. And when he said he didn't even know the Bible said anything about it, I realized everything was changed. See, if I had approached him with God loves you and we love you and we're going to work through this, right, I probably would have missed it with him. But instead I said, hey, do you know what the Bible says? And he says, no. And so then we started to talk about what the Bible has to say about love and about lust and about homosexuality, and he received it. Actually, now, the last time I hung out with him, he asked me if I could drop him off at his girlfriend's house, and I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> I was so excited. Now I'm, like, encouraging uh, relationships with uh, the opposite sex. So <laughs> I used to not, but now I do. 
Um, but I'm just saying, like, the generation has, has shifted, okay? I went in with my, you know, this is, this is what they think, and we've got to, like, fix their image of the church. These kids have no image of the church. In fact, you can see a uh, percentage of people with the biblical worldview declines in each generation. Now, people, one person saw this slide and said, it's not really that big of a deal from 6% to 4%. But remember the number of people represented in Generation Z. So only 4% of this giant number versus a smaller generation. Does that make sense? So that 2% is actually a really, really big number. Now, I say all this just to set you up for some interesting things. Now, if you begin to connect the dots, you think, hmm, we have the largest generation in history. We have people who are struggling with identity. Let's think. We have people who are globally connected through technology. We have people who are dying for a sense of self, a sense of family, connectedness, and who want a purpose and a mission. And you think, do we know anyone, any place that fits all of those needs? I don't know, the church, maybe? See, what I see when I see this is hope. I see hope. Generation Z is a blank slate. We're no longer correcting beliefs. We're no longer, like, apologizing for what the church has done to hurt you. Instead, they're a blank slate. They're not saying no to Jesus. They're saying, I don't know. Never heard of him. This is not a generation who will come back to church because they were never there to start with. This is not a generation that has, like, a faint remembrance of the gospel because my parents took me once when I was little. No, no. We've already lived through that cycle, and now their parents haven't come. Even grandparents haven't come, and so now we have this generation that's a blank slate. Moral values of things like Sunday school or knowing the right thing to do just aren't there anymore. Think about this. In the 1960s, if you had lined up like the top ten, not ten commandments, but, you know, kind of the moral values of our culture, of, of Christianity, most people would have agreed with it, things like, being kind to your neighbor, right? Things like absolute truth, that lying is not okay. So it just took like a little nudge into Christianity because you weren't asking them to change very much. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? So morality looked different. So taking the step into I believe in Jesus and I'm walking with him was not a very big leap. But now we have a generation where none of the values look the same as our Christian core values. And so the step into Christianity is actually a much larger one. Interesting that Google, Siri, and Alexa now have the answers to life's questions. This, this group is not religious, but what's interesting to me is that they're drawn to the supernatural. Take a look again at media. So um, I don't know if you know this, they're rebooting uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Have you guys seen this? To what we watched in the 90s of like this woman with this awful cat, like a CG cat that was like nothing very low on uh, magic or anything, it was absurdly silly, now has a very dark turn because that's what's working with kids. They're drawn to something supernatural. Ghosts are in, God is out, right? This is who they are. They're drawn to something supernatural. So it sounds really bad, but I see this as hope because we have a blank slate. It's interesting that this generation doesn't need us for knowledge, my kid will never Google why is this, or will never ask me why is the sky blue because she'll Google it. But what they do need is wisdom. Wisdom and processing information. These, these will be kids that are smarter. Like every third grader now is smarter than every third grader that ever has been. 
because of the access to knowledge. However, what's lacking is wisdom. And I seem to remember somewhere in here, I believe it's James 1 that says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of who gives generously. So it's interesting. We, we think uh, teen, you know, teen pregnancy, drunk driving rates really low because kids stay in and they're on their devices. <laughs> Honestly, that's why. <laughs> However, what we now have is anxiety, depression, suicide, loneliness at an all-time high. I mean, we're on the brink of a mental health crisis. What's really cool is that the church, right, is a place with built-in community and family with all wisdom that we need. Liberal wisdom, scripture says. We're solid on identity. We know who we are in Christ, and we can tell you who you are in Christ. We have a purpose, and we're on a mission. It seems like this recipe for success. See, I think when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, it wasn't so much a goal to reach for. I think it was a task to be completed. And I'm fired up because I think this generation could actually finish the Great Commission. Like, what if it's finished? Do you know what scripture says? It says that we're supposed to preach this message until all have heard, and then what? Then the end will come. We say, Jesus, Jesus, come back, come back. He goes, no, no, not everyone's heard yet. But I think this generation could do it. So what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Look at Matthew 18. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And Matthew 18 is one of, becoming one of my favorite scriptures. It talks about who's the greatest, talks about offense. Um, and then it says this, Matthew 18, verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you in heaven that their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's interesting that he talks about who's the greatest. He warns him of offense. He says not to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And then he talks about the lost sheep, and then he goes back to kids. And so a couple years ago, I got to wondering, could the lost sheep actually be about kids? Like maybe Jesus actually meant what he said in scripture. And we take it and we apply it to other things because scripture is like that. But when Jesus said it originally, he talks about kids, he tells the lost sheep, he goes back to talking about kids. Now, rightly dividing the word of truth, Pastor Eric would probably tell you, means we have to look at a, a broader picture. Instead of pulling out the one lost sheep verse, applying it to all of us, we go, kids, lost sheep, kids. I wonder if Jesus was onto something. I wonder if he actually meant that one lost sheep, that he cared about one lost sheep, that he really did mean he's not willing, that God is not willing that one of these little ones should perish. I mean, it says that. Does he mean it? I think so. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Does does God actually call us to leave the 99 who already know Jesus and go after the one? He says, listen, I have a lost kid out there. This generation is lost. I have a lost kid. Where are we? Are any of you parents out there, have you ever temporary, temporarily misplaced your child? I would say lost, but that's such a strong word. <laughs> temporarily misplaced they came back right I didn't lose my kid 
one day uh, uh, we were setting up for grad Sunday, actually, and um, all the juniors were there with their parents. Some are working on media, some are setting up tables, some are in the kitchen cooking, some are rolling silverware, and we're kind of bebopping around doing all of the, my, Jameson and my husband and I, Aunt Jameson, my husband and I, <laughs> we're kind of around doing all the things, getting stuff ready for grad Sunday, and our daughter was three, and after a while, um, Jameson goes, hey, have you seen Eleanor recently? And I said, oh yeah, I think she's in the gym with Micah. We go in the gym, hey, Micah, you seen Eleanor? No, I think she's in the kitchen. Okay. Hey, uh, Miss Sue, have you seen Eleanor? No. So anyway, we start going to all these different locations that everybody's doing all these things, and she's not there. And we're, like, starting to get panicked. You know this feeling, right? You're like, is my, where, where's my kid? Where's my kid? At first it was like, oh, she's probably there. And then it got more serious. So we couldn't find her. And suddenly, like, all 20 people who were there drop everything they had, everything they were working on, everything that was really important for Grad Sunday, they drop it all, and we're gone. Um, This was at Foursquare. So people were out on the playground. They were in the cornfield. They went to Stonegate. They're in Sunnyside. I'm getting the cameras booted up to check our security cameras. What exit did she? I mean, my, my baby was lost. And you cannot tell me that rolling silverware at that moment was more important than finding my child. That would have been absurd if the woman said, oh, listen, I know your kid is lost, but the silverware is really important that I get this done. No, nobody would agree with that. Everyone dropped everything they were doing, all good church work, dropped it all and said, no, my lost kid has to be found. And I just wonder if sometimes the Lord would say that to us. Everything is really awesome, and this is all really good, and this event is actually going to happen, but my kid is lost. That lost sheep. See, I think that's what Jesus was saying, that we would leave the 99 and go after the one lost kid. And I start to think, you know, maybe maybe this is not actually about us, because maybe it's about them. Sometimes we're rolling silverware, (laughs) and God's like, my lost kids. Where are my lost kids, and what are we doing to find them? Research shows that, that kids who come to faith between the ages of 4 and 14 develop a faith that sticks the most. It's almost as if Jesus read the research, guys, when he said lost kids are important. It's like Jesus had read Barna's research that said between the ages of 4 and 14 are the time we have to reach kids. You know, a couple years ago, we were in Turkey. I shared this last time I was here. We were talking with the missionary about things we could do. We were planning to bring a team to Turkey, and that's like 99.9% Muslim. I mean, if you haven't been there, the darkness is like heavy the minute you step off the plane. And we're talking about things we could do. And I said, what about kids? This is kind of who we are. And he said, no, no, you can't proselytize kids. It means you can't talk about Je- can't talk about religion with children. I said, why is that? He said, you know, I don't know. The Muslims don't like it. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Tajikistan, earlier this spring, um, introduced new religious sanctions. Three things. You have to give a record of everyone that attends on Sunday morning. You have to give the government a record of how much everyone gives on Sunday morning. Oh, and by the way, kids can't come to church. It's okay for the adults. Kids aren't allowed to come and hear the word of God. We have a missionary friend that went to Cambodia in 1999 to plant churches. And he gets there, and there it's, that was tough soil. And three orphans get dropped off on his doorstep. So he and his wife are like, I guess we're raising orphans now. Fast forward 10 year, 20 years, they've now raised 18,000 orphans 
through Children of Promise. And listen, the national religion of Cambodia is changing towards Christianity. And so you know what? If you want to change a country, you start with their kids. Why do you think you can't proselytize children in Muslim nations? Why can't the kids in Tajikistan come to church? You know what? Because it makes a difference. Because when you reach out to kids, I think it taps into Jesus' heart. And something gets ignited in them. And so if we want to change our country, guess where we should start? With the children. We have to think about what do we do as a church, right? So we have this new reality. We have this new way of thinking, hopefully, after this morning. So what do we do? We have this generation that I believe is, is really poised to change the world. The question is this, will it be for Christ? And will we be a part of it? Look back at John 21, where we were earlier with the feed my lamb scripture. What's interesting is at the beginning of that, the disciples are all sitting around, right? They've seen the risen Christ. Their reality has been shifted. They're living in a new day, a new day, a new time. Culture has changed. He died. He was resurrected. He gave them a mission. And what do they do? Verse 3, Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. And then they said to him, you're an idiot. We've been called to do something. We're not going back to fishing. Get over here, Peter. No, that's not what he said. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out into the boat, and that night, what'd they catch? Nothing. So interesting to me how we're drawn to go back to what we knew, right? Jesus was calling them to something else, to reach the world, and they said, I think we'll just go back to fishing because this is what we've always done. And I think in so many ways, the Big C Church of America has been guilty of this for a lot, a lot of years. That we go, you know what, let's just do things the way we've always done and expect a miraculous catch. Interesting, though, when Jesus shows up, did he make the fish jump into the boat? He's like, come on, fish, you flying fish I created, get in the boat. No, didn't do that. Did he tell them to change their nets or tell them they stunk as fishermen, right? No, same nets. Same people, same boat. What he asked them to do was change their location. Just, just shift your nets a little bit to the other side of the boat. And guess what happened? Miraculous catch. They caught so many fish, they didn't know what to do with it. What it took, listen, was a shift to the other side of the boat. That when they decided, we're just going to keep doing things the way we've always done it, we're just going to go back to fishing, Jesus calls them to something else, and he says, no, no, no. You're going to shift what you're doing, and you're going to see a miraculous catch. And can I just say that's a word for the church, that we're tempted to go back to the way we've always done things because we've always done it. But what if instead, what if instead Jesus would show up and we would do a, a shift in the way that we reach kids, in the way that we disciple youth, in the way that we do ministry around here, and then we would see a miraculous catch. It's so interesting to me that secular sociologists say we're on the brink of a major culture shift like we haven't seen since the 1940s, the 40s. McDonald's has changed its hiring practices. The army, okay, the army, do you understand how large that is, has shifted its recruitment and training practices. It's fascinating. Fortune 500 companies have completely redone the way that they reach out to Generation Z. They've altered all of their business models to capture this generation. And yet the church wants to go, you know, let's just keep doing things the way we've always done it. I'm sure it'll work this time. What? What will we do? <laughs> do we want to be the John 21? 
they had new insight, but went back to the old ways of doing things. Let's not be those people. We have new insight. Let's shift what we're doing. See, sometimes I talk about this, and people feel like Jonah looking at Nineveh, I think. Oh, oh, that's bad. If you've seen the VeggieTales version, you know they're like fish slappers or something like that. They slap people with fish. Interesting. What happened with Jonah is he saw like a rough spot, and he ran away, and we all know where that got him. What if instead we were like the tribe of Issachar? 1 Corinthians 12 lists all these people that were coming to help David. The, the tribe with the number that was coming, any of their special attributes. It says Judah is coming with shields and swords and Simeon's, they're coming warriors from battle from the tribe of Issachar, catch this, men who understand the times and knew what Israel should do. What if that was us? That our strength, we have, we have the weapon that we need. What we need is to understand the times and to know what to do. There's this tandem beauty in the tribe of Issachar that knew what was going on and knew what we should do. My question is, are we willing to shift so that the lost will be found? Because I believe these are God's kids and his lost sheep. Will this generation be set on fire for Christ? This is a huge generation, globally connected, passionate about activism, looking for a purpose. And if we reach them and disciple them to reach the lost, to do what we're doing and reaching them, I seriously believe they'll finish the Great Commission. I don't want us to miss this, church. We've got to seek the Lord and say, what is the shift that we need to make? Now, the particulars are particulars, but I believe that we're led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so I could give you this list of things that I think we should do, but I think the Holy Spirit leads us to. So let's, I want to pray. Can we pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit what he would have us to do? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that is so clear. I thank you, Lord, that your word shows us your heart. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would speak in this time. Holy Spirit, we give you place to speak to us about what our part is, what shift we need to make. Lord, we will not entrust others to feed our sheep only, but we will be active in feeding your lambs. Forgive us for the times where we've sought only the 99 and forgotten the one that we now know that you are passionate about. Lord, we want to be a people that align our hearts with you. I declare right now that America will be changed <laughs> because children will know Jesus, that we will not be silent while the enemy steals, kills, and destroys this generation. God, you have come. You sent your son so that we could have life and have life abundantly. And so I declare over Generation Z that they will have life and life abundantly. And we know that means we must do our part to show them life, to lay down our lives so that they may know you. Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, come in this place that, that we would not walk away unchanged, that we would not be like the disciples who, who got new insight but went away unchanged and went back to what we've always done. 
We don't want to do that anymore, Lord. We want you to set us on a path for a miraculous catch. Not that we would have numbers. Not that we would feel good about ourselves, Lord, but that our country would be changed because of a miraculous catch that comes from Generation Z. Lord, we believe that you are a God who cares about children. And we align our hearts with yours and say we will do what you're calling us to do. What shift needs to happen in my life? What shift needs to happen in our churches, Lord, that you would lead us to? Lord, I speak um, creativity. I speak wisdom over my friends in this body. Lord, that you would equip them to reach the lost. We know that you didn't come um, to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And so I, pl I pray, Lord, that they would be able to give their lives for many. Lord, we believe that, that we will see a miraculous catch of Generation Z and that it will only be through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would direct us and give us insight. That you would give us the words to speak about gender <laughs> issues. That we would speak identity. Lord, that you would uh, help us to understand how we can shape academic worlds even. God, that we would get involved in ways uh, creatively outside the walls of this church. That we would reach the kids who aren't here. The kids that need to hear about you, who have no chance of showing up here on a Sunday morning. I pray, Lord, that we would exude joy that they would see something in us that they so much crave, that they would know true happiness and joy in Christ. Lord, we open our hands and our hearts to you and what you want to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, absolutely.